Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network Catholic Radio with another special edition of the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. In our last episode, I mentioned that I recently gave a talk about discipline, detachment, and gratitude to a group of young adults here in St. Louis. And particularly for Lent, I want to jump back in time to last year in Lent when we talked about the practices of asceticism and obedience with Father Michael Rainier and Monsignor Eugene Morris. So, Without further ado, let's go back in time on this special edition of the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. Once again, we are on the road back at Epiphany Parish talking with Father Michael Rainier. Today, we are here to talk about asceticism. And Father, I think the question was, would you like cream and sugar in your coffee? Are you sure about that? Do you really want it? What is asceticism, Father? Well, I'm, I'm drinking a cup of black coffee right now. Uh, and it's funny that you're having me come on to talk about asceticism because as I've informed my parishioners multiple times, I'm essentially a glutton. <laughs> <laughs> I love food. I love, I love thinking about food. I love eating food. I love looking at pictures of food on all of your social media feeds. Uh, so so it's, this is a very ironic conversation we're having. Uh, but asceticism, right, it's, it's a very difficult concept to pin down. We, we, we hear the word, and probably our best guess is, well, the ascetics, they're people like St. Francis of Assisi who wander around with no shoes on. They never eat. They're sad all the time. They hate their bodies. And that's not what it is at all, including the asceticism of St. Francis of Assisi, right? So he was not sad. He was always a very joyful saint. And so we see in his life how these spiritual disciplines by which he disciplined his body actually set him free to live a very joyful and happy life. And so asceticism is not a spiritual practice that destroys the body or denigrates the body, but it works with your body and with... um, with God to um, promote the goodness and the beauty of the physical world that he's given to us. It's interesting you say that, to promote the beauty of the physical world, because I will be honest, the first time I heard the word asceticism, I was thinking, is this is someone mispronouncing the word aesthetics? And how, right. you know, when we talk about aesthetics, how do things look and do they look good? Um, and I was terribly confused. But it's could we say it's this idea that we're, we're denying ourselves, almost like we do during Lent, of luxury, of things that maybe we, we think are no big deal, but we, you know, for instance, having a glass of warm water instead of, gla- of a glass of ice water to just call our attention to the simplicity and focus our lives on God. Absolutely, yeah. So it, it, it's um, a way of restoring health to your spiritual life and allowing your soul and the beauty of the soul to shine through in terms of how you're using your body. But also it puts everything in proper balance. So we don't want to get too extreme one way or the other. So when we're talking about asceticism, we're not saying, well, let's go out and starve ourselves for 40 days and then end up in the hospital. And then we'll be very saintly. Um, we, we fast or we give things up and we practice these spiritual disciplines so that we can later feast. And so there's a balance. So how do you enjoy the feasting if you're always doing it? If, if, 
If you give into gluttony and every single day you don't deny yourself anything, you start to take it for granted, you become physically unhealthy if we're talking about food and those sorts of things, and you don't really enjoy it the way you should. But if you follow the, this natural human cycle that God has laid out for us of, okay, this is, this is a season of fasting. It's Lent. I'm going to give some things up. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to, real, I'm going to refocus. Okay, at the, end of, at the end of Lent is Easter. I'm going to go out. I'm going to eat every possible cake, you know, at, at the family gathering. I'm going to eat all the food. I'm going to eat the, the, the lamb and the rich foods because God wants us to feast as well. For me, it's the potato, the cheesy potato oh, casserole yeah. every Amazing. Easter, yeah. um, without a doubt. This is not something that we just limit to Lent. It's easy to focus on Lent right now because we're just a few short weeks away from Ash Wednesday. But this is a practice we can employ pretty much all year round, except on the, those great days of feasting, the, the great solemnities throughout the liturgical year. It's also not something, as you mentioned, limited to food. Now, I think I would be in trouble with my wife if I went home and said, we're no longer sleeping in our bed or living in our house. We're going to move into a cave and sleep on straw on the floor. But there are opportunities for each of us in our daily living perhaps to practice some asceticism with how we go about our day. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, just taking the, the simpler option, not overindulging in, in various ways, right? Food or, or our consumption of television or um, what we're giving our attention to in terms of are we, are we over-focusing on certain pleasures that we have, whatever those might be. And, are, and by doing so, are we failing to carve out space for some quiet time with God and to contemplate what is the meaning of, of this physical existence, right? What, uh, what is the body for? Why did God give us this, this beautiful world to inhabit? And if we, if we don't practice asceticism, we're going to miss all of that because we'll simply be distracted by our consumption of various things. I'm thinking of the routine of the day, and it begins with waking up in bed. And for the last several months, I have been having this great debate. Do I try to find a new pillow? Because my pillow is not particularly comfortable. But every time I've tried to buy a new pillow, it's just never right. I'm, I'm like Goldilocks with the pillows. that This one's too soft or this one's too firm. And I finally come to this point where I'm saying, Adam, just don't get a new pillow. Embrace the discomfort of this pillow. I mean, it serves its function. It's not the most comfortable, but that's okay. So that's a, that's a starting point right there. I also think morning routine, you know, there are days I love to indulge in just a long, hot shower. It's very relaxing. It, it soothes the muscles uh, from sleeping on such a terrible pillow, but that's an opportunity to sacrifice right there and say, you know, tepid shower, cold shower, make it quick, serve the purpose of showering, get clean, don't overindulge and move on with the day. Yeah, I think St. Thomas Aquinas addresses the ethics of, of pillow buying in the Summa somewhere. So you, you might want to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that part of the Summa. It must be in the, the volume that he didn't complete. Right. What are some other things we can do, just practical things as we go about our day? And, you know, we mentioned earlier coffee without cream or sugar. Yeah, so... So a couple examples from, from my life. I'm no hero, but right, um, I wake up early. So I used to be a, a very late riser. I'd wake up, the alarm would go off, I'd brush my teeth, I'd 
I'd, you know, make sure my face was clean and I'd, I'd leave. So I'd wake up about 10 minutes before work started, probably. <laughs> and I'd rush it. And I realized, though, over time that what I was doing was I was, I was saving time later in the day to essentially do gluttonous activities because I'd come home and then I'd watch late night television and I wouldn't use my time very productively at all. But then I, I, I noticed that if I woke up earlier, which I didn't care to do, uh, before the sun gets up, 5.30, 6 a.m., that temptation was gone. So I'd sit there, I'd have a cup of coffee, I'd read a good book, I'd have some quiet time. And, and I found that that was far more productive simply to make that one little change. Uh, another thing I do is um, I am very, very stubborn about uh, going out and getting my run in. So running some days is a joy. Other days, it's pure torture to go out and, and discipline your body and, and go out. And uh, So was it just yesterday it was snowing or two days ago it was snowing? Um, there, were, there were icy puddles everywhere. My feet were soaked. But I ran, I think, 17 miles. <laughs> and, and it, was, it, was, it was the worst thing ever. But I need, I realized for myself, I need that physical discomfort. I need that voluntary suffering, right? So if we take on voluntary suffering, there's great merit in that. It's not as meritorious as the sufferings God gives us, the involuntary ones. But we can take on these voluntary sufferings. So I think it's, I, for real this time, I think it is Aquinas who talks about, well, what is it that our Lord shows us the example of? at the cross. So one of those is patience. He suffers patiently. So there's two ways to develop patience, right? You can ask God, help me become more patient, and then he's going to send all sorts of, you know, terrible things to your life and, and, and force you into patience. Another way is you can voluntarily take up these, these minor sufferings, these ascetical practices, and learn to be patient as you work through them and as you experience them. And that's an imitation of our Lord at the cross. So for me, it's this physical, this physical suffering. I need to go out and just sort of beat my body up for an hour or two hours every day. It calms me down. And the thing is, we see these benefits not only spiritually, but also physically. You know, you get healthier. Um, if I've had a stressful day, if I go out and I and I do something physical and exercise, the stress kind of melts away. All of my anxieties, all my thoughts just kind of, everything goes quiet, and I just have a little bit of alone time to reset myself. It's like medicine, you know? And then I can come back and I'm in a much healthier frame of mind to deal with, well, what is it that made me stressed out to begin with? I was just thinking as you offer these ideas about every evening life with five kids when i cook dinner or when my wife cooks dinner and and of course they're not old enough most of them are not old enough to use a knife to cut up the the meat that we might be having whether it's a pork chop or a piece of chicken so i have to cut everyone's meat and then i have to serve everyone's side dishes and by the time i get to mine it, it's cold yeah, it's it you know that. 
I probably ought to not start cooking my food until they have theirs on their plate if I want a hot meal. But even that in of itself is a way to teach me some growth, it sounds like, that, that I can offer that up, that, okay, my food's not going to be hot, but I'm also going to learn service, and I'm going to learn it patiently, that I am going to take care of my kids before myself. And as a father, I would think that should be the model for how I should be living my life for them, is to always ensure that their needs are met, even if it means I have to sacrifice some comfort to do so. I think that's a really good example. That practice of self-service and sacrifice and asceticism within the family, I think reveals the heart of why we're doing any of it, right? So G.K. Chesterton, when he talks about asceticism, he says, well, what is it? Why are we doing it? What's the point? It's not simply following a rule or a law or trying to be holier than everyone else. He says, you can see the ascetic principle at work if you look at a family, if you look at a husband and a wife, they give up so much for each other. And why are they doing it? Because it's an act of love. And that's why we do it for God. It's an act of love for God. And just like in a family, these husbands and wives, I try to talk all these married couples out of it, or these engaged couples that say, it's gonna be really hard. It's, you're gonna have to pick up a cross. You're gonna have to sacrifice for each other. Are you sure you wanna get married? And, and they all go through with it. I haven't convinced a single couple to, to cancel their engagement yet. <laughs> and, you, and because when you're in the inside of it, right? When you're in, in the inside of that loving relationship, you hear about the sacrifices, but they're a joy to take up. You don't mind at all. It's something you're doing for your family, and, and you can't imagine doing anything other than laying down your life for the people you love. And that's exactly what we're doing with God. Could I imagine any other thing, any other, any other approach to my faith other than to give God everything I have? Because I am so in love with Him. When you put it that way, it's, I mean, I'm inspired, and now I, I, I want to put more ascetic practices into my life because I have this great vision of, Focus on this. This is why you're doing this. This is why it's good. And, and yay, let's go. Go asceticism. However, you know, there have been times, I think, one of the practices I've adopted over the years, when, when I have tap water, a lot of people put ice in their tap water. They have a glass of ice water. I don't. I like ice water. In fact, I love a good glass of ice water. Um, I just drink tepid water. And it's hard to see sometimes how that practice, you know, what, what's so inspiring about this? How is this helping me to love God more? But is that at the heart of what you were saying, that when we have these opportunities to sacrifice for our families or for our loved ones or for the Lord, the everyday simple actions, such as not putting salt on our food or not putting the cream in our coffee or not putting the ice in our water, help discipline us so that we can make these larger sacrifices down the road. Yeah, yeah. I mean, romance is made up of, of a million tiny acts of devotion, and it's not always glamorous, and, and it's not always something we want to do even. So it doesn't always feel like it's a we're chasing this great romance, because that's what our faith is, and that's what our marriages are. But sometimes it just feels like, oh, I just cut up you know, five pork steaks <laughs> for a bunch of little kids and not one of them said thank you. Um, but it really is something that, you know, when, when you die and your kids are eulogizing you at your funeral, they're gonna say, Dad always thought of us first. And it was all of these little actions that added up. And we don't always understand when we're in the midst of them how meaningful they are. 
I'd like to ask uh, just for a moment here, for those of our listeners who perhaps their children are grown and are out of the house or they don't have children, they might be young and single and not married yet, um, can they offer these sacrifices for perhaps the souls in purgatory as they make them throughout their day? Yeah, absolutely. That's, it's, it's the exact same relationship, all right, be- between you and your family. It's the same relationship between you and your, your great friend who died several years ago and is now in purgatory. You're still a spiritual family. All of us are in this together. And so these ascetical practices that we're offering up are not only out of love for God, but also out of love for this great communion of, of the faithful, you know, the saints who are um, at the... At, at the right hand of, of you know our Lord, and they've got His ear, and and they're praying for us, and uh, those who are in purgatory, and we're praying for them. And so you see all of these little ascetical practices that are kind of going back and forth across this spiritual boundary and connecting heaven and earth, and it's a really really beautiful thing. Um, and it's again, it's all that family relationship, and all of those little things, the the, the small acts add up too. I think of my, my good friend, Father James, who jokingly, uh, we, we joke that we belong to the confraternity of the minor annoyance, that we offer up all of these small sacrifices for the souls that are maybe a paper cut away from leaving purgatory and entering into heaven. But, you know, we joke about that, but it is true that all of these small sacrifices do add up for those poor souls in purgatory if we offer them. It does not always have to be some grand gesture. It can be these little things. Right. And I I think even better that it is a a lifetime of small but faithful commitments rather than one one grand gesture that you think is going to change everything, because that's not the way life works. It's not the is not the way relationships work. Um, But all these small gestures over over many decades, right? It, it, It shows faithfulness. Father, could I ask you to close us with a blessing today? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back right after this. Prayer for the Gift of Prudence Jesus, artful master of parables, your prudence eluded the hypocrites. Your actions were known before creation, displaying all the wisdom of your prudence. Eternity must have attended to minutia. Being prudent in your best interest, you considered all potential consequences, securing the outcome of your earthly life. Grant me the prudence to always be cautious and sensitive to the basic needs of others. Jesus, you have shown great foresight. Prudence truly originates from your being. Amen. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We are happy to be on the road once again at the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine. This is becoming a regular habit, Monsignor, that I enjoy. Adam, as well. I'm so uh, grateful that you give me the opportunity to, to be with you and uh, certainly to come here to the Oratory. And So thank you. It's good to be here, as always. Last week, I sat down with Father Michael Rainier over at Epiphany to record a segment that's actually going to air right before this one on asceticism, the idea of voluntarily giving up things or taking on small penances in our life that we might grow in holiness, they might prepare us for the larger sacrifices. 
Today, we're going to talk about obedience, because while those things in asceticism are voluntary, there are some very clear moral lines given to us by the church. Let's go to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. There is no room for doubt. Should I do this? Thou shalt not do it. Why do we receive these things? I mean, the, the, the world's argument is, well, isn't that very restrictive and limiting your freedom? Well... The Lord. I mean, first of all, I mean, to understand the the nature of obedience, you in a sense have to go back to its roots, which is uh, the Latin word "obedire" to to listen, uh, to hear. And so, what's presupposed in any relationship on a natural level, but even more so on a supernatural, related to the virtue of obedience, is a relationship that is dialogical, that is intimate, it's conversational. Not conversational in terms of casual, but conversational in terms of an exchange. So the obedience that God requires of us is never unreflective. Uh, It is supposed to be immediate and re- and and prompt it doesn't admit to uh, any negotiation but but God shows himself clearly throughout all of the Old Testament of course that culminating in his son that he is one to whom we can give obedience because of how he interacts with us so it's easy in a sense to give that life of docility to hear what God has to say to us, and then to do the things that God asks us to do because of who he actually is. So when the church gives us the commandments, which of course we know was God's way of articulating and giving uh, the context of relationship first between him and ancient Israel, and then of course their interactions with each other, or a, a positive, if you will, if you if we think of the things that one cannot do, then think of the ones that the things you are supposed to do. Christ gives us all sorts of things, ultimately culminating in the commandment that you shall love God, you shall love your neighbor. So we're told things that we shouldn't do, but we're also told things that we should do, and we're required to be obedient to both of those. The foundation, again, is that relationship with God, and of course that relationship with God the Father made manifest in relationship with the Son. They're given to us precisely because man has shown himself from the moment of the garden incapable of being able to exercise his freedoms. We need to be circumscribed. We need to be, in a sense, hemmed in in a good way. And this, of course, is the greatest, I guess, sadness uh, for the modern age, and I'm talking the last five, six hundred years, is to conceptualize obedience as negation, as absence, as limiting. Uh, It's none of those things. Uh, Yes, there is the prescriptions against, but also the prescriptions for, but avoiding evil and doing good actually sets us free. We are better human beings. We're better in relationship first with God, and then we're in better relationship with one another. So things like restraint and discipline and order and structure that go around being able to live a life of obedience are things that the modern age bristles at because they don't want to be told what to do, how to do it with whom I can do it, when I can do it, whatever it might be. The virtue of obedience says, no, actually, not only am I going to tell you, you are going to be better if you do this. And I think if people, uh, especially our listening audience, if they're honest with themselves and they really reflect on those moments where they've had to make a difficult choice, but in obedience to truth, whether that, again, was both in its negative formulation of avoiding something or its positive formulation in doing something, they have found an authentic peace that has come from doing that. I think it's interesting how with our worldly examples, sometimes there are examples that 
No one will question. Everyone says, well, of course, that makes perfect sense. For instance, when you go somewhere, there are proper behaviors, not just for the sake of civility, but also for safety. A few years back, we were traveling to Orlando, Florida, and our oldest broke his arm while we were at one of the theme parks, and we were kind of dampened in our spirits, and the doctor said, listen, We've had kids come down here. They get off the airplane. First thing they do is jump up on the chairs in the terminal, which is something we should not do. They fall down. They break their arm. Their whole trip is ruined. And we say, well, that makes sense. Don't climb on the furniture at the airport because if you fall and get hurt, it will ruin your trip. Yet in the eyes of the world, when we talk about our next life, when we talk about what comes after this earthly pilgrimage... We don't want to hear, well, don't climb on the furniture. It could jeopardize the next life. And yet what we choose to do in obedience or disobedience will have a very direct effect on our next life. And that is very true. And and again, I... I can't help but think the fact that the church and the world has lost a sense of the supernatural and the eternal has then, uh, in a sense... um, unmoored us, if you will, from these foundational realities that actually assist us in living rightly. So I think about, you know, the the example we were told as kids, you know, don't touch the iron. And of course, you're going to touch the iron because once you're told not to do it, that's precisely what you're going to do, you end up getting burned. You have a physical mark left because you did something that you were told not to do. Disobedience leads to, if it, depending on the nature of it, so whether it's a, a burned hand or a broken arm, uh, also it could be a, a soul that unfortunately is separated from God. And again, we hesitate to talk about it because hell is an uncomfortable reality. Some people have gone so far as to deny the reality of hell or the presence of anyone in hell, but the truth is Our Lady revealed very clearly to the seers at Fatima that there are people sadly in hell, and so hell is real. And it is a place where people go who choose to be disobedient to God. Not because God wants them. Let's be very clear. So we go back to sacred scripture. God desires that all men might be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Paul's exhortation to Timothy. God gives us literally everything. I mean, the deck is stacked in our favor. If we end up separated from God, it is not because God desires that, wants that, or wills that. It is because we have chosen consciously... And it's not always conscious, like, I know I'm doing the wrong thing, but a whole series of attitudes or actions, maybe attitudes that precede the action, leading then to this relationship whereby God, in a sense, I remember C.S. Lewis reflecting on this, God loves us so much that he honors that disobedience. And it seems counterintuitive. Why would he not, why would he not uh, make sure that I'm saved? Well, he has done that. But again, and I was just literally reading this the other day in my own spiritual reading, we have to cooperate and consent to the salvation that has been gained for us. So, St. Augustine's great line, God did not create us with our consent, but he will not save us without that consent. And again, when you think about that type of power then, I mean, I am the master of my own destiny, both in this life and the life to come. Well, the answer is no, you're not. And then there is the beauty of the virtue of obedience. You cooperate, and then God gives you in a sense for my own, I always conceptualize it for myself, he puts blinders on me like the horses in Central Park. So they don't bolt, they don't rail up against someone, they don't trample anybody, they stay on the path in their lane and do docilely what they're supposed to do. In a good way, that's what obedience does for us. It doesn't numb us intellectually, it actually sets us free. And I have to say, and I know I've been talking a little bit, so I apologize, uh, but as a young man, when I took vows as a religious, the, the virtue or the vow that I thought would be the most difficult was the vow of obedience. And in my younger days, it did prove to be the most difficult. As I have grown older, 
I have very much welcomed the vow of obedience, not because I've been able to shirk away from responsibility, I've actually have received more, but it has also narrowly focused who I am. I'm not supposed to save the world. I've got a specific job, specific tasks, and my responsibility is to be obedient to those. We call the show Roadmap to Heaven, so you'll have to forgive this analogy, but I think of our GPS systems that we have, and we can, you know, again, something that when someone wants to get somewhere, they plug it into their phone, they plug it into their dashboard, they get the verbal commands, do this, go here. It even works with us if we stray from the route or we encounter an unforeseen problem, perhaps an emergency water main repair, something like that. It says, turn here, go this way, in 500 feet, do this. We don't question it. Through the scriptures, through the teachings of the church, through the sacraments, we're getting something much better than GPS, again saying, do these things, but not forcing us to do these things. I cannot help but think in this year of St. Joseph of the great example of obedience that we have in St. Joseph, who, you know, he had the angel come to him in a dream and say, do this. And he said, okay. As soon as he woke up, that's what he did. I think these are, I think these are very good takeaways for us. I would agree wholeheartedly. And the, and the line about St. Joseph that oftentimes gets overlooked that actually is preparatory to the immediacy of his obedience is he was a righteous man. He had been in a relationship of obedience. And that's the beauty of it. The more we practice it and live it, the easier it actually comes. So then when we are asked hard things like he was asked to do, or our Blessed Mother, the hardest, to become the tabernacle for the Word made flesh, for both of them, the response was immediate. Uh, The response was unequivocal, yes. Immediately, Scripture tells us, Joseph took Mary into his home, of course, similar to uh, what John does at the foot of the cross. And we know in Scripture, both of those are not just the physical reality of Mary residing with them, that much deeper spirituality. And of course, for Joseph, he becomes the caretaker, the foster father of our Lord. God's greatest treasures are bestowed upon him. The father is not going to pick some some arbitrary guy who's not shown himself worthy of that. And so in this year of St. Joseph, when we think about, especially for men, for fathers, for priests who are spiritual fathers, uh, the greatest acts that we can perform is to be obedient to our lives. You as a father and a husband, uh, you don't, you know, you don't have your own life anymore. Your life belongs to your wife and your children. And at times that might feel confining, and said that we know so many men who walk away from those responsibilities under the guise of, well, I'll now be free to do whatever I want. But the fact is, and you can speak more eloquently than I, the beauty of your children particularly, but also the relationship with your wife, how it does actually free you. You know better who you are now, maybe even better than you knew yourself before you got married. You're clearly defined. Uh, it, it kind of just such kind of takes away the detritus of kind of the existence itself. And of course, I think, again, because he was a righteous man, this is why St. Joseph so very promptly responded to the message of the angel Gabriel and did exactly what God asked him to do. Continuing with this example, you know, we mentioned the GPS when we make a wrong turn or when there's an obstacle says, we'll just do this. Um, you mentioned something earlier when you were talking about our choice that, you know, God creates us without our consent, but he does not save us without our consent. I'd like to go back to that for a moment, because I think this is something very clear uh, that we need to discuss. It is not a matter of saying, well, God can work through my mistakes, which he can. Uh, if, if we disobey him and, and we're graced with another day on this earth, there will be a new invitation offered, which 
uh, he will work through. But we also have to live with this reality that even though I don't have a plan to step out the door of the oratory here and get hit by a bus, the reality exists that I could die this day without even knowing that it's going to happen. And this is a reminder to be obedient to the call to constant conversion come back to the sacrament of reconciliation, not just, oh, I'll go during Lent and Advent, but frequently and often, especially and, and, and most urgently when in a state of mortal sin. And you're exactly correct. Again, that, that reality that we are exhorted to live each day as if it is our last means that as I'm living the day, the, the best way to successfully live that day is to be obedient to those very practical things about which you speak. So uh, not only the truths of the faith and those given to us by Holy Mother of the Church and the sacramental life of the Church, but on a daily basis. I need to be a man of prayer. I need to get up and go do my job and do it well. I need to receive pay for an honest day's work. I need to fulfill my obligations according to my state in life, whether that be for you as husband and father, for me as priest. And I need to do that with joy. So when people ask themselves, okay, so fine, I know I need to be obedient, but what does that look like? God also tells us what that looks like as well. They're very, there's actually, I would say nothing that's actually left to chance. There's nothing that you have to kind of really ponder, what should I do or how should I, what decisions should I make and things of that nature. Yes, I mean, what pair of pants you wear and what shirt you wear, contrary to what's really, God really is not interested in what you wear in your closet. So pick out a pair of pants, pick out a shirt, go about your business. But on these very real things that are foundational in, in, in concretizing, he certainly does care, which is why he's given you the directions that you're supposed to go. So go and do them. You know, do whatever he tells you is the command from Our Lady. That's how our lives should be lived as well. To bring this full circle in our discussion today, you know, Father Rainier mentioned all of these practices of asceticism that we can put into place in our daily lives to help us by willingly denying ourselves. It helps us to be obedient when we are told, do this or do not do this. It, it's practice each and every day, and if we want to be better at something, we practice. We also have the cardinal virtues, which we've talked about on the program before, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, that seeking to live these each and every day will help us to be obedient, especially when, as you said, obedience is the most difficult thing we might be called to today. Last but not least, we talk about prayer, we talk about the sacraments, and as, as much as I get on the soapbox on the show, get to reconciliation, do not be afraid, I'd like to go to the most important, the source and summit, and that is the Eucharist. We think about, again, uh, tools we have, and this is so much more than a tool, that, that it's not enough to stay home and say, well, I have permission to live stream, so I'll just live stream. We're missing out on something when we are separated from the Eucharist. And this isn't just, well, we're holy because we go to Mass. There are supernatural effects and graces that we cannot receive any other way than by receiving Holy Communion. Without a doubt, Adam. And, you know, I don't, I don't often speak about this either in private or in public, but the, while I understand the, the responses to the pandemic and, 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 and virtual Mass and things of that nature and staying home, and I, I'm not going to weigh in on that either way, the fact of the matter is, uh, in truth, more people have taken advantage of that who are physically capable of going. They have no problem going out to dinner or have no going shopping and things of that nature. And what, what's happening when you deny yourself that, that intimacy with our Lord, whether you receive Holy Communion or not, but your presence physically there, as it always is in every relationship. I mean, you wouldn't have... I mean, one of the things, again, we're discovering for the pandemic is people are actually having severe psychological um, 
effects as a result of not being with their friends and family. They're not physically with them. Well, the same is true of our relationship with the Lord in the Eucharist. And of course, he is the exemplar of obedience. And that reality that when one freely gives his will away, the greater gift is the destruction of death and actually new life. So the asceticism that you and Father Anir were speaking about is meant to assist us in being able to give our lives away in the same way that Christ did. But as St. Paul also reminds us, when we're seeking to put on the new man who is Christ, we have to be in relationship with him. So, yes, go to confession, which I encourage people to go at least once a month, if not every other week, and go to Mass. Go to Mass every Sunday. Go to Mass every day if you can. And even if you're not in a state of grace to be able to receive, the graces you're speaking about are, are so rich and plentiful that your presence there may be the very reality that will prompt you to be able to go to confession, make a good confession, and then eventually be able to receive our Lord. I don't say this to try and guilt anyone into what well, you should be at Mass if you're not there. There are listeners, I am sure, who have significant reasons that they are homebound right now. And I know that we've we've gotten the direct order at, at certain points during this pandemic that we were not to leave our house because of exposure and in obedience, we observe that. However, I think you bring up an interesting question we should all ask ourselves. If I have no problem going to all of these stores, not just the grocery store, but going shopping here or shopping there, going out and eating in a restaurant, um, what is my reason if I am not going to Mass? And that, that's something to reflect upon as you make your daily examination of conscience. Again, I'm not here to tell you one way or another what to do, but but pray and examine yourself each and every day, and not just on that, but on everything. What has God called me to be obedient to today that I have failed to be obedient to? And I think of that great line from the Confidior, in what I have done and what I have failed to do. And I will tell you that as a married man, as a father, each and every day, I have answers to that question, what have I done and what have I failed to do? Monsignor, I wonder if you could close our time with a blessing. Certainly. Benedictio de omnipotentis patris et fili et spiritu sancti, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back right after this. Once again, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Roadmap to Heaven in this special podcast format, available only for you, our podcast listeners. If you like this or you like the daily dose of encouragement that you hear in our show live on the air, be sure to check out both like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Again, that's Roadmap to Heaven and the Daily Dose of Encouragement by Covenant Network. And find out about our current programming schedule and all the great programs we air 24-7 on the radio at OurCatholicRadio.org. That's OurCatholicRadio.org. While you're there, you can find your local station or stream online using the website or our Covenant Network app. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary.